Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. bizarre moment takes place as Jesus quietly stands, takes a basin of water and and a towel and begins one by one to wash the feet of his disciples. He takes on the role of a household slave and he stoops down and humiliates himself, demeans himself, picking away at the calluses and the grime. Now imagine that you were there. Every conversation would have stopped. All eyes would have turned to look at what Jesus was doing. Confusion, I imagine. Some would have squirmed awkwardly in their seats. Some would have watched with disgust, others with embarrassment at what was happening. And over the coming chapters, we're going to see the disciples one by one abandon Jesus as the shame of the cross becomes too much to bear. Yet somehow, Jesus continues to step forward and face the shame and the scorn of the cross. He continues to stoop low, washing the feet of the world, even as the crowd's at the same time, mock him with their mouths. But you might have noticed, if you're paying attention to the words there, that John isn't just describing the actions that take place in this scene. He's not just describing what Jesus does. He also gives us a window into the beautiful, trusting relationship Jesus has with his Father. And it's from that rock-solid core, from that deep security, that Jesus is then able to serve in such a radical and humiliating way. So as we come to explore this passage, won't you join me in as we pray? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it shows us about who you are about who we are, about our Lord Jesus and and what he came to do and model for us as a restored and redeemed humanity. And Lord, this picture of washing feet, of servanthood, Lord, may your spirit be at work in us, challenging us through your word today and reminding us of the security that we have in Jesus. Amen. Each one of us, I I think if we're really honest with ourselves, are deeply insecure. We look in the mirror and are ashamed of what we see. We're too thin, too ugly, too freckly, too overweight, too weak, too something. We struggle away at work trying to impress our colleagues or bosses, hoping for recognition, something to give us a momentary jolt of self-esteem. 
we're secretly in competition with each other all the time, comparing ourselves to the person next to us, lamenting that they're a better mother, a more committed father, smarter, better looking, wealthier, more popular. And our ego, that, that desire to be recognised and be valuable, it's a, it's a black hole, insatiable. You fill it for just a moment and it just wants more. I'm going to quote from Madonna, believe it or not. But a few years ago, Madonna, in this moment of honest self-reflection, said these words. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I am still mediocre and and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Pretty insightful and honest words. But our search for inner security doesn't just drive us. It's also a barrier that continually gets in the way of us enjoying and celebrating God's gifts. Our ego in search for approval chains us to the well-trod path of the popular to the stale walls of social acceptance, to that wide road of self-love that never leaves us fully content. And so, so we find there are things that we just can't do and won't do, too humiliating, too demeaning, too costly to our ego. It's one reason why I find our passage today so incredible. In a world that's so insecure, it's rare to see people willingly involve themselves in other people's mess, unless they're maybe getting something from it. And yet here is the God of the universe stooping willingly into humiliation, putting his ego and image aside to do a beautiful thing for his friends. I think we need to realise here that what Jesus does takes a special kind of courage. It's one thing to do good and to serve people, but when that good is going to give you nothing in return, when it's going to cost you reputation, popularity and public ridicule, even the laughter and scorn of your friends, That's a cost that few, I think, are willing to pay. So turn turn with me to the beginning of chapter 13. It's worth following along and looking at these words. We're going to focus in particularly on verse 3 here. Now let me read it to you, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Do you see what John's telling us 
here. Like I said before, he's not just explaining what Jesus did. He describes for us the reason why Jesus was able to humiliate himself in such an act of love. The washing of feet was only possible because Jesus was entirely secure in his identity. We form our sense of self and identity from all kinds of different places. Our experiences in childhood, our our peers, our our self-speak. But perhaps the most significant shaping force on our inner security are the significant people in our lives and the way that they treat us. Our sense of security is often linked back to our relationship with our parents or other nurturing figures. And it's fascinating that for Jesus too, his sense of security is tied up in his relationship with his father. John tells us here, Firstly, that Jesus knew that his father had placed all things into the hands of Jesus. When he says all things, he's, he's talking about the people that he's sharing this meal with. Over the next four chapters, we'll see Jesus talk about them, these people as being placed in his hands by God. But he's also talking about the power to heal that we've seen all through the Gospel of John and even the power over life and death. Jesus was absolutely confident in the faithfulness of his Father to protect him, to empower him, and to fulfil his purposes in him. Jesus' inner security that gave him the courage to demean himself in love was not based on his own confidence in himself but his unyielding confidence in his Father. In our world, when someone is struggling with self-esteem, the advice that's often given is to change our self-talk, to speak about ourselves with confidence and focus on what we are good at. We try to overcome insecurity by bloating our egos, by building ourselves up. Scripture gives a very different picture of where true security can be found. It says, if you want to find true security, don't turn inwards. Don't try to create some sort of fake image of yourself that's only going to let you down. Turn to the one who made you. Don't look in the mirror for security. Look at Jesus. I'm reminded of uh, Moses in the Old Testament. Uh, He was, I think, a very insecure fellow when we first meet him. He made all kinds of excuses before God of why he was utterly incapable of going to Egypt and embarking on the task God had set before him. But God doesn't respond to Moses with a pep talk. He doesn't affirm Moses' gifts and leadership skills. He doesn't say, don't worry, Moses, I chose you because you've got this. Instead, God affirms his own strength, his own leadership, and his own character because the outcome never actually hinged on Moses. 
But Jesus' inner security also came from a sure sense of purpose. It says here, John says, Jesus knew where he had come from and where he was going. From a very young age, we get a sense that Jesus was attuned to his father's plan. We see it in the book of Luke where Jesus disappears and is found at the temple because he's going about his father's work. Jesus knew that his life was not just a blank slate for him to work out his own purpose and meaning in life. He came to reveal God to the world, to save the world, to to die for the world, to pave the way for the Holy Spirit to come and restore hearts and minds, to create a new spirit-filled family called church. We live in a world that's very insecure about purpose. We're desperately searching for meaning and largely this is because we have forgotten where we have come from and where we are going. We have no sense of being part of a bigger story. And it's no wonder that one of the driving questions of our age is, who am I? But from the beginning, God tells us who we are. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's where our story begins. That's where we have come from. We're created to be like God to rule and love and care as we worship the God who formed us and walks beside us. Our our purpose is to nurture and partner with God in mending what is broken, to stoop down and tend the dirt. That's what we were made for. To love our fellow neighbour unconditionally. And so when Jesus stoops down to wash the feet of his disciples, He's living out not just a purpose unique to Jesus, but the purpose of every human. He is being who we are made to be and showing us how we are made to live. If we were secure enough in God and who he has made us to be, we would all be on our hands and knees, basin and towels in hand. In the kingdom of God, the basin and towel are not a demeaning act, but a beautiful representation of humanity at its finest. And so it is, utterly secure in who he is and what he has come to do. Fully secure that his father is faithful and in control, that Jesus stoops down to wash the grimy feet of his disciples. And and Peter's aghast. "You, You cannot wash my feet. Never, he says. And thus begins this kind of tussle between Jesus and Peter. Peter crying out, don't demean yourself, Lord. And Jesus responding, but this is what I've come to do. And Peter fails to see the significance of what Jesus is doing at first. He 
He doesn't see that actually, unless he lets Jesus be shamed for him, he will be forever impoverished. A number of years ago now, Emma, my wife and I, went to, to China. And at one place we visited, some servant women came out and washed our feet. And it was apparently culturally impolite to refuse this gesture, but I found it a horrible experience. And the reason that it felt so horrible was because I felt so unworthy of it. Who was I that someone should demean themselves like that for me? It it was like that act of service confronted me with my own inadequacy. And I imagine Peter's response was somewhat similar, but so much more so. The Messiah would wash his feet. I'm sure he was thinking, I'm not worthy of this. But that's precisely the point. Jesus is saying to Peter, of course you're not worthy of this. You're not my disciple because you're worthy. I don't clean you because you've earned this. I wash your feet like a slave because this is my God-given purpose. This is my purpose. And you belong with me, you only belong with me, if you accept that you're not worthy and receive this grace that I offer. In the final section of the passage, Jesus lays an invitation at the wet feet of his disciples. It's more than an invitation, it's really a challenge. And and the challenge, at least in words, seems quite simple. He, He says, go and do likewise. If I am your Lord, Jesus says, then you're not better than me. If your king is willing to feed the hungry, so should you. If your master is willing to shovel dung, so should you. If your Messiah is willing to shame himself like a slave and wash feet, so should you. But, but we need to think about this and understand the, the cost of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, go and make a fool of yourself for me. Go and be laughed at and mocked with me. Go and be humiliated and rejected like me. I'm not sure that my ego can cope with that. I'm not sure that I have the inner security to face that kind of rejection. But this is the way of the kingdom, where slaves are kings and kings are slaves. To walk... The footsteps of Jesus here requires us to cease searching for acceptance and affirmation and instead rest in the fact that we already have all of these things. And only as we learn to be secure in God's loving acceptance will we ever discover the courage to stoop down and serve the least. I often reflect on the world that my children are growing up in. 
And I find myself often mourning for our world. I mourn for young men and women who are consistently told that they're not enough who spend their lives trying to find identity and transcend the bodies or the minds or the personalities God's given them, thinking that there's something better to be found. I mourn for the discontentment I feel about myself and the lies that have fed that. And I mourn that because of all these things, our society, I think, is is becoming more and more narcissistic, self-focused. I mourn that we're driven and caged by our ego. And yet deep, deep, deep down there's something true about all of this. It, we're not as we should be and we know it. Because we know we were made to be more. But though we might have a, an idea of the problem, a sense of that, that problem. We're searching for the solution in all the wrong places. We, we're trying to find ways to transcend mediocrity when what we really need to do is turn back to our creator God and rest in the acceptance and undying love he already has for us. Our cup is already full. Full to the brim. But only as we grasp that God is everything we will ever need, will it overflow. It's only from that place of security and fullness that we'll ever develop the courage to wash the feet of others unconditionally. This is what Tim Keller calls the art of self-forgetfulness. And if you want to find the people who have learned this art, Look for those who are in the dirt and the grime, toiling quietly away, forgotten by the world, not drawing attention to themselves, simply serving others because they have nothing more to gain. Look for those volunteering to drive people to hospital and doctor's appointments, those spending time sitting in nursing homes just being a companion to those who are alone those sitting alongside flood-affected victims, those sheltering the homeless, befriending the unlovely, washing people who can't do it for themselves. Look for those who already know that they have everything they could ever want in Christ. So how might we learn this art of self-forgetfulness? How might we discover the courage and security to wash the feet of others? By knowing who we are in Christ. I want to read to you some words by a theologian, Kelly Capick. I want you just to listen to these words and let them sink in. As a follower of Jesus, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are a child of the King. God delights in you. 
He enables you to grow and blossom as the real you, which involves communion with God and with your neighbour. You are an irreplaceable member of the body of Christ. God wants you to flourish as the particular you that you are, to enjoy his creation and to enjoy him. That is your calling and your privilege as a particular human creature he made and delights in. He doesn't just love a generic world or amorphous humanity. He loves you and he even likes you. Your cup is full. You are loved unconditionally. There is nothing more to gain and nothing you can lose. For those who are secure in Christ, there is only a thankful faith expressing itself in servant-like love for God and neighbour. Let's pray that God would give us the courage and security in Jesus to take up our basin and towel as well.